0: If you are a young person and want to come out up to the front, I would love to have an opportunity to talk with you. If you're an old person and want to come up to the front, too bad. You stay where you're at. Sorry, this is the time you guys have (laughs) palatosis. Hello young people! How are you today? You're good? I want to read you a story out of the Bible. It's a story that Jesus told. It's not really a story. It's just a teaching that Jesus gave. He was talking to his disciples. He was giving a sermon. And this is the very last part of his sermon. And this is what he said. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the wind blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall down, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the wind blew, and beat against that house, and it fell and great. Now, what Jesus was saying to his disciples was, let me start recording this. What Jesus was saying to his disciples in that story about the man who built his house on the rock and then the man who built his house on the sand, he was saying he was important that you start with a good foundation. Do you guys know what a foundation is? Have you ever heard that word before? That's a big word. A foundation is kind of like the thing that you that you that's on the bottom, the thing that's on the bottom has to be sturdy and solid, so that when you build, it doesn't fall apart. How many of you guys do you, in your house do you guys have? Um, uh, do you guys have any cracks in your walls? Uh, you do. <laughs> we do too. We have cracks in our walls. Sometimes, sometimes our house moves so much that the door won't latch, and then the door will latch. Sometimes I can see daylight through the door. Sometimes I can't. It's because the house moves, because the foundation's not 100% solid. And that happens a lot in Alaska. It's hard to get a good, solid foundation, especially up here in the interior part. Now, a foundation, that's, that's, it's kind of hard to describe. Let me, let me show you what a foundation is. Here, hold on just a second. I've got... I'm going to need your help, okay? So, we're going to do this. I've got these blocks. Have you ever seen the game Jenga? Yeah. Okay, so this is Jenga blocks. Now I'm going to build a tower, okay? So I'm putting the Jenga blocks, one on top of the other, and I'm going to use, I think seven of them is a good number to use. How many have I got so far? Four? This is
1: five? Whoa!
0: Six. Whoa. Seven. Whoa. Don't fall. Don't fall. Woohoo! Now, your job is to come over here and stand around this stool with me. Okay? Don't touch the stool. Okay? I just built a house, a tower. And you guys are going to be the storm. You have you can't touch the house, but you have to make it fall down. Tell me how (laughs) you do it. Ah, come on, help it to fall down. Don't touch it. You can't touch it. Maybe we all jump up and down. Come on!
1: Try and do a different
0: kind of building. Here, we'll, we did we did one block each, right? Well, now let's do two blocks. And see, you can help. You can help. Okay, do some more. Okay, so you can put them on. Put one there. We need one more. Here's here's. Well, here. we did do let's do four here's two and then like this watch now do this and then do that and here's some more let's make it a little bit taller well that's okay do it, do it like this and then like this and then like this and then like this alright and then the last one there we go. Now step back because we've got to be in the storm and try to get it to fall. Oh. See, this has a better foundation because it's got the, the two and the two. It's more solid. So let's try and make it to fall and see if this one will fall. Come on, fall, 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 fall. <laughs> no, nope, it's not going to fall. Now watch. I want to show you something. I can guarantee that this will fall. You know how? Oh.
1: It doesn't matter how many bricks or blocks you use
0: or what configuration you do trying to make the best structure, if the stand that you put the blocks on isn't fastened solid to the ground or to the floor, you can easily knock the stand over Falls apart and goes away. Can you help me pick these up and put back Because yeah. I don't want this ever to fall. Apart. <laughs> now, so when we're talking about foundations, you guys can sit down together. When we're talking about foundations, what did Jesus say? If you build your house on a solid foundation, it won't fall down. But what did He say was a solid foundation? No. But he said it was a rock. But he said, a wise man who built his house on a rock is like the person who listens to my words and does what I teach them. So if we listen to God's words, the Bible, and we do what the Bible tells us to do, it will be like having a good, solid foundation so that when storms and problems and things happen, we won't have our word house called out, or our lives go crazy. We'll have a lot more solid and stability in our life, more peace. And it's a hard thing to think about, but that's that's why I wanted you guys to have this visual thing. Thinking like, this stool has to be attached to the floor, or it can still be knocked over. Okay? So you think about, your life has to be attached to God through God's Word, and through praying, and through worshiping God, and that way it won't get knocked over when the enemy tries to hurt you or cause problems. Let me pray with you guys. Jesus, I ask that you bless these kids. I ask that you go with them now as they go into their time of study. Help them, Father, to honor you in all that they do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you guys can go back and be with society.
1: And I'm going to you
0: wasn't thinking clearly, and I pushed the stool towards Audrey. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't
1: remember.
0: Okay, I have a song that I, got, I want you guys to listen to. This is a song that's been in my world, in my life, from a number of times, a number of weeks, um, and it's kind of what prompted today's sermon and my thoughts about what I felt like God wanted me to say to you this morning. So, this song is uh, done by the Newsboys, it is a song called We Believe, and so if you listen to it for just a second, uh, hopefully it'll come through clearly. I know that was a little bit loud and awkward, but I wanted you to hear the words of that song. Um, that was basically the statement of the creed, the, the, what we believe. We believe in God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We believe In the crucifixion, we believe in the resurrection. We believe that we get new life in Christ. All of these things are foundations in our world. As Christians, these are basic 101 Christianity. But sometimes God calls us back to basic 101 Christianity for review to to remind. To And if you think about the command of Jesus is, every time you have a chance to eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's a repetition over and over and over again of a basic truth of Christianity. And that type of repetition and reflection should be part of our regular Christian practice. Um, and so, I, I wanted to look at the foundational truth of Christianity, and I'm, not, I'm going to ask you to not speak out loud, I'm going to ask you to simply think your answer to this next question. If you were asked, what is the most important doctrine of Christianity, what would you answer? Say it out loud. Just think about it. Because I'm going to tell you what it is, and then you can know if you were right or not. I don't want to embarrass anyone. (laughs) But think about it. If if somebody said to you, What's the most important thing you need to believe as a Christian? What would you say? Here's what what the Apostle Paul said Turn with me to 1 Corinthians, chapter 15. First Corinthians, chapter 15. And it's verse 14. First Corinthians, chapter 15, verse 14. Now, I'm going to be reading the scripture out of the New International Version this morning because I love the way this particular translation says this one this sentence. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. That's a powerful, powerful statement. Years ago, when we first came here, we had the Friday Night Youth Ministry. We used to um, bring the kids up here in the sanctuary in the second hour of that evening And we would do games, object lessons, but ultimately had some kind of a nugget of truth that we wanted to share with them. And so I, one time, did a, is this in the Bible or is this not in the Bible? You know, know, God helps those who help themselves, not in the Bible. God will always, uh, God will never tempt you beyond what you can bear in the Bible. God will never give you more than you can bear. Not in the Bible. Your faith is useless. It's not in the Bible. I said, ah, it is in the Bible. Let me read it to you. And I read in this verse. And to me, everything else about my faith is built on the foundation of the resurrection. Because if you go down just a couple verses in chapter 15, we just read chapter 15, verse 14. If you go down to chapter 15, verse 17 through 19, it says, If Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then, those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost.
1: If only for this life
0: we have hope in Christ, We are of all people most to be pitied. If the resurrection isn't real, isn't true, then
1: there is no hope for you
0: to have your sins forgiven. And everything you said about, oh, I'm clean, and and God has forgiven me, and I've sinned in my relationship, it's all a lie. If there is no resurrection.
1: And every that you've known and loved who has died
0: is gone. Because there is no resurrection. You'll never see it again. They just cease. So, this foundational belief in Christianity, in a resurrection, (coughs) in my mind, is primary. It is not just one of it is one, it is probably the most important foundational truth in our faith. So if I own that and I'm building this foundation, you know, building my house on the rock and the teachings of Christ, the very first layer has to be that I believe in the resurrection. Now, if I believe in the resurrection, what do I believe? Well, first of all, if if you go to First Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul, in instructing that church, said in verses 13-18, Brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who has no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not receive those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of the call of God, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So, Paul is saying, not only is it foundational, but Paul is saying that it's important that you understand what resurrection is. That indeed, we don't have to grieve like the rest of the world who doesn't have hope. That word hope came up in both passages. He said in 1 in Corinthians chapter 15 verse 19, he said, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we of all people should be pitied." And in Thessalonians he said, um, We should not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. This idea of hope is, well, let's let's look at a verse that talks about hope uh, that is, again, I think part of this discussion. It's first, it's uh, found in the the, uh, 11th chapter of Hebrews, the first verse. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. In other words, the things that I can't see or, 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 uh, I can't see or I can't touch, I can't taste, but I hope that they are true. It is my faith that is the conviction that those are real, that those are genuine. So I cannot viscerally prove to you that there is a resurrection. I can't point to any human being who is walking the face of the earth right now who has been resurrected from the dead. But I can tell you that I believe it with all of my heart. It is foundational to my belief system that the resurrection is real and genuine and that Christ Himself was the first one to be resurrected. But Paul thought it was more important, I mean, that, it, that even more important than just simply believing it, he wanted the people of Corinth to understand it. And so he, in the following verses of chapter 15, goes on to discuss what is resurrection. Now, he said in verse 42-44, it will be, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable will be raised imperishable. The body that is sown in dishonor will be raised in glory. The body that is sown in weakness will be raised in power. It's sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So, what Paul is saying is that there's something different about the resurrected body. Now, think about this. On the night that Jesus was resurrected, following his resurrection, on that first day of the week, when Jesus met Mary in the the garden following the resurrection, and she thought he was the gardener. It says in chapter 20 of uh, John that that evening, Jesus appeared to the disciples while they were in a locked room. How did he get in that room if the doors and windows were locked? And while he's in that room, if you refer to the time of, I mean, the second time he comes when Thomas is present, and Thomas had said, I won't believe unless I touch the marks on his body. So Jesus said to Thomas, You said you wouldn't believe until you touched the, the scars. Here, here's, here's my arms, here's my feet, here's the, the hole in the, in the side. Touch it. Stop being an unbeliever and believe. So, what does that tell us? It tells us. That in Jesus' resurrected body, there was something recognizable about who he was while he was in his mortal body. Now, I was reading John Wesley's sermon on resurrection, and John Wesley... It was so funny. I didn't, I, this is the first time I ever read this sermon. And it was it was so funny because at the top of the sermon it says, I have actually gotten this sermon from such and such and such and such, and it was published on this blah blah blah, and I'm just paraphrasing this guy. And I went, Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. Not even John Wesley came up with an original thought. He just had to copy somebody else's stuff. Anyway, and I, was, I was like, wow, that's interesting. But anyway, he he talked about the idea that. A person dies, and their body is buried, and their body decays, and their body then becomes nutrients which feed the grass and the other plant life under, above the grave. And then animals come and eat the grass and absorb that, and then somebody kills that animal, and eats that animal, and the nutrients from the animal then come into the body of the other human being. So when the resurrection happens, who gets the body? Because if my body became nutrients that fed the grass that the the deer ate, and then came over and killed the deer and ate the nutrients, didn't he take my body into his body and became part? Talking about, he wasn't using these terms, but the idea of matter, the idea of, 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 of the basics. And what he said was, I can't explain any of that to you because I don't have the words and I don't have the research to be able to back it up. But I can tell you, the God who can do anything, the God who can do anything can take wherever you're stuck got scattered after your death and bring it back so that your new body is indeed a resurrection of your old body. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. I know I'm noticing some furrowed brows. (laughs) I'm
1: hoping not. my, my, My point is this.
0: My point is this. If, as we see in the example of Jesus, Jesus' body is recognizable as Jesus. There would then lend that our resurrected bodies would in some way resemble us. But there would be a transformed body. If you go to the argument that Paul uses um, in another passage of scripture, it says, it says what is sown, well it was right there, it says what is sown is reaped. Okay? So this idea that you take, like, a grain of wheat, or you take a kernel of corn, and you drop it in the ground, and something happens, and that wheat germinates and it becomes a plant. It transforms, if you will, into a different form, but the heart of it was still that wheat, herb. And so what, what, what Paul is saying is, It is changed. It is transformed. Our resurrected bodies are transformed. However, they're better. There's no more sickness. There's no more aging. There's no more death. So the things that we can gain from what we just read in scriptures are that we will be recognizable in our resurrected bodies, Our resurrected bodies will be different from our current earthly bodies. Our resurrected bodies will have the ability to walk through walls or to transport, maybe? I don't know. Somehow that happened to Jesus, or was that his divinity? I'm not sure. Our resurrected bodies will be able to eat food. Didn't Jesus eat fish? Now let me get grass here. Do resurrected bodies move? Or are resurrected bodies perfect in that they can ingest and use absolutely everything with no waste? We don't know. We're not given that in Scripture. But these are things you can think about and meditate on. And I'm not saying you need to do that, but I'm saying... If somebody asks you, "What do you believe?" If you just spout the ABC answer and you can't give a definitive, I thought through this thing, then there's no real foundation to what you believe. Makes sense? So I believe in the resurrection. Well, what does that mean? Well, I believe that I'll come back to life again. Oh, like a zombie? No. Well, then what is it? Well, I believe that I'll, I'll my, my body will come back and. and God will put my soul in my body and I'll be resurrected. Uh, What about the cow that ate your nutrients because your body decayed in the ground and then, no, you don't get it. Well, what do you believe? See? Now, I'm not saying that we're going to be able to come up with every little nuance about what a resurrected body is because we don't have one in front of us to examine. But we do know certain things that we can garner from Scripture. And one of the things is this. The last part of chapter 15 in verse Corinthians says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I'll tell you a mystery. We'll not all sleep. In other words, we won't all die. But we will all be changed. Where of death is your sting? The sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So Paul tells us that everyone, uh, every human being in the resurrection will be changed. If you have died, you will be put into a resurrected body. If you were alive at the time of the second coming of Christ, your body will be changed miraculously by the power of God because immort- immortality cannot inherit immortality. Perishable cannot be imperishable. Corrupt cannot be incorrupt. So God is going to do something, according to the scriptures, they'll do, God will do something to those who are still alive, because they will be changed. But there's this little statement in all of this that kind of, eh, I don't like it. When that seed
1: goes into the ground, it has to die. And
0: I don't want to I can remember when I was in Bible college, and I was towards the end of my training, and I had to do an internship uh, as a chaplain in a hospital. And it was literally my last session. And I, I think I've shared this with some of you. in you've know this sermon, but some of you haven't heard it, so it's good to hear it now. Um, I, I literally had finished my shift. I had gone back to the chaplain's office. I had was writing up the last of the report. I was literally ready to turn off the beeper, grab my keys, and go home. And the beeper went off, which meant someone needed a chat. And I was in, within my rights to just turn off the beeper and go home, because my shift was over. I was already well past the end of my shift. But I was like, yeah, it's your last shift, and yeah, you're already off, but somebody needs a chat." I went ahead and went to the floor where the need was. and it was, it was this what they called at that hospital the medical surgical floor. So it was just normal everyday sickness and, and healing from surgeries or whatever. Um, it wasn't ICU. It wasn't CCU. It wasn't the NICU. It was just a regular hospital. So I went to the nurse's station and I said, I'm a chaplain. Can I help? What's going on? And they explained to me what was happening. And I will remember this woman... For the rest of my life, her name was Catherine, and Catherine was, I believe, seventy-eight years old. And Catherine, literally, was in the last moments of her life, officer. And her family was gathered around her bed. She, seventy-eight-year-old woman, with a fifty-something son and daughter-in-law and a granddaughter. I don't remember the daughter or son, but there were three people standing in the room around the bed, and. For those of you who have a medical background, there's what's called a position of comfort. And what that means is, is if a person is in distress, they'll raise the head of the person so that they're inclined forward or up a little bit so to it make it easier for them to breathe, because laying flat is harder to breathe. So they put them in a position of comfort, so she was sitting forward a little bit with her knees raised, so they had adjusted the bed, so she was kind of seated forward. So Catherine was actually seated with her head pointing towards the floor. So in order for me to be able to engage with Catherine, I had to get on the floor, sit down, and look up at her. Now, Catherine, the 78-year-old woman, who was literally in the last moments of her life, was sitting there going, (laughs) She was in a blind, white panic. Because she didn't want to die. Now, I knew From the little bit that I had gotten from the nurse and the family, this woman was a Roman Catholic. She had been reared in her faith. She was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I was being asked to walk into that room and push her off the cliff. That's what I felt. God, why are you making me do this? This isn't right. I'm being asked to push this person off into eternity. It's my job to help her feel better about that. She doesn't want to die. So as I'm sitting on the floor, looking up into this panic-stricken 78-year-old woman who can't catch her breath because she's dying and doesn't want to die, I was praying inside fervently, God, what do I
1: say? What do I do?
0: And the Lord said, remind her of her faith. And I looked at her and I said, Catherine, now she could not respond. She couldn't talk to she was at that point in her death process where she couldn't communicate with us. She was just.
1: <laughs> and, and I looked at her in the eye. And she had her eyes were open. I mean, she
0: could see me. And I said, Catherine, you love Jesus. And you know that Jesus died for you and that he was resurrected. And he's now seated at the right hand of God the Father. And he is standing in heaven with his arms open wide. And he is ready to welcome you into the presence of God. And say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. And Catherine, it's time. It's time. And inside I'm screaming, God, I don't want to push her on a cliff. And the Lord whispered to me, sing to her.
1: What do I sing, Lord?
0: give me this song. you as she was ready to cross over into the unknown, which was known to her. And I stood up, and I looked at the son and the daughter-in-law and the granddaughter, and we talked for just a couple of minutes. And then the granddaughter looked down and said, she's gone. And Catherine, quietly, peacefully, went into the arms of her God. Do you understand the power of foundational faith? God put it in us to not want to die. I mean, there is great fear for some of us, when we think about our death. I can tell you, I already told the Lord, um, I'm willing to die for you, but please don't let me suffocate, because that scares the like that. Don't let me choke. When I was five years old, I choked on a piece of steak, and my father had to... There wasn't such a thing as a Heimlich maneuver back then, but he had to do something similar to a Heimlich maneuver to save my life. So I had this great fear. I was almost drowned once as a child, and I was and I choked once as a child. So the cutting off of air for me is a very traumatic, scary thing. And I said, Lord, I'll die in any way. I'll die in any way you want, but please don't let me suffocate or choke again. But a number of years ago, I was downstairs in my office, and I started feeling what I thought was a heart attack happening. And at that time, we had an intercom set up between my office and the house, so I could communicate with Renee. And for whatever reason, she wasn't hearing it. It was Saturday night 11 o'clock. And I'm, I can't reach her. (laughs) I can't reach her. So I called 911, because I think I'm dying A heart attack. And 911 operator gets on the phone. Is there anybody else we can tell you? He know? said, well, there's Carolyn Lewis across the street. She's a nurse. What's her number? I gave them her number. And they said, what's your wife's number? We'll try and reach her. Don't hang up. We'll stay with you on the phone. We've got an ambulance coming. And there's all going on, all, you know, multitasking for them. And I'm just sitting there going, like, oh, can't breathe. can't breathe. It hurts so bad. It hurts so bad. And the operator's trying to keep me occupied. Well, while that's going on, I grabbed a notepad off of my desk and a pen a letter to my wife
1: and said, I love you.
0: And I love the do- our daughters. And I want you to know I'm okay. And I'll see you when you get there. Now I didn't die, of course. <laughs> but I faced it. And I wasn't afraid. No, I wasn't suffocating. (laughs) So that's probably why there wasn't a panic. But I wasn't afraid. And I count that an incredible blessing to know that I can face death and not be in a white, hot panic. And the reason for it,
1: because it goes against everything that is human. We don't want to die.
0: But the reason I can face that is because I know what I know, what I know, that there is indeed a resurrection promised to me. And I the proof that I have is God resurrected his only begotten Son. So that he could prepare a way for me. That is foundational to our beliefs. And if you can't explain that to someone who's asking questions, how can you explain any of the mysteries of our faith? And so my challenge to you in the coming days, start reading 1 Corinthians 15. Read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Read anything else. Go to the ancient people from thousands of years ago in, in, in. and read their writings. But Get a hold of somebody who can explain it to you in a way that makes sense to you so that you can foundationally set for yourself your belief system so that when you're called to the bedside of Catherine or when you yourself are facing your own mortality, you don't have to deal with the screaming panic. You can sit there with the peace of Christ knowing that you know. Why? Why? Because faith is the confidence in what we hope for. It is the assurance of the things that we cannot see.
1: Faith. But faith is what you believe.
0: And you need to understand what you believe more than just a slogan. More than just a song that really sounds cool. You need to know that you know that you know it. You need to own it. Because when you have that foundation, no stone, no stone can knock down that house. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you and thank you and praise you. God, I thank you so much for me being able to bring back Catherine for a few minutes. What a joy. And I look forward to seeing her in heaven. I only knew her for about five minutes. But she made an impact on my life that is forever. And I look forward to the day that I can tell her thank you. God, be with us now as we continue this service. And go with us in the coming days.